1: Sending QB Jimmy Garoppolo
2: to 49ers. We believe we found the right guy.
1: Garoppolo, quick pass caught by Kittle. He dives and he's in. Touchdown.
3: What is going on, folks? Welcome back to Striking Gold, your 49ers podcast on the Blue Wire Network. This week's episode is sponsored by BetOnline.ag. My name's Rob Lauder. I cover the 49ers. And joining me tonight, my co-host, former NFL defensive back, Eric freaking Crocker. What's going on, man? How you doing?
4: I'm doing good, man. I'm trying to go home. I'm trying to head back to California. <laughs>
3: trying to, I'm trying to go home. Um, that's such like a like an honest thing to say. You know what I mean? Like, like if this picture, like maybe you're like out with friends, or you're like out, you're just out doing anything. Like maybe you're at, you know, you're working out or whatever, and somebody just looks at you and says, "Man, I'm trying to go home." Like yeah. that's like to me like the most honest thing, or the most like genuine thing somebody could say. Like I just like Forrest Gump, man. Like I, I, I want to go home. You know when Bubba oh, Gump tells well, yeah,
4: him, he had them run for like a thousand miles. Then all of a sudden, it's like, all right, I guess I'll go home now. <laughs> They're like, right, yeah, yeah. What? Yeah, the,
3: yeah. The Bubba Gump when he says it to him when he's when he's dying in his arms, and then and then he runs uh, across the country, and then he gets to the end, and he turns around, and everybody's like, he's gonna say something because he hadn't said shit. He was just running the whole time, and then he turns around, and he's like, I think I'll go home now. And he just starts going the other way. <laughs> <laughs> what a movie, man. I haven't watched that movie in a long time. Yeah, that's you know, really-
4: there, I mean, I did not really know, you know, when you're a kid, because that movie came out. I mean, you know, we were all young. I know you're like a couple years older than me, but, right. you know, when that movie came out, I mean, we, we were all kids. And then I watched it, I want to say, in my senior year of high school. And I didn't realize all the like historical events that they placed in the movie.
3: Oh, and, dude, it's 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 yeah. amazing
4: when you watch it from that standpoint and all all the things that he was involved in, like the whole segregation of schools and like he helped a little black girl or like grab her know, book. Uh, I, I want to say Deflate Gate, but um, Spy Gate. Um, yeah, no, he.
3: Yeah, he he uh deflating <laughs> when because he was he was calling the cops or calling the hotel staff about the rooms the flashlight in the room because yeah, that was hey, the people digging up the documents <laughs> yeah. and like he was he was talking to the the black panthers and and he was you know like when they were doing the segregation of schools he helped he helped that the black girl dropped her dropped her book and he picked it up for her and like you know he was on like I think it was Johnny Carson or maybe it wasn't Johnny Carson. And like John Lennon was sitting next to him and like, dude, the way they like integrated that movie into, into history, especially like going back and watching that now, like you said, like when you understand a lot of those references and historical times, like it's crazy to watch how, yeah. how like Even the
4: war, you know, Vietnam war. And then he also was involved like, you know, with Jenny, you know, being a, a hippie and just, right. you know, just,
3: and then like, he invested just crazy. He invested. He's like, man, he's like, Lieutenant Dan took that money and invested it in a fruit company and it was Apple. Yeah. <laughs> like, and then he just, he doesn't know. So he's like, and we, and we don't have to work no more. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like, dude, this, just, man, I'm glad you, I use that as an analogy because I got to go back and watch that movie. It is I so. I know. Yeah.
4: I have to watch it with like my kids just so that they can like, kind of like understand. Great, right. great movie. And I, yeah. Underrated for its greatness. Uh, like I, I don't know if there'll ever be a movie that touches on so many different things, and you know, just the way that he did it. You know, with him being kind of, I don't know if he was autistic or. Or what? I remember the teacher well, was, was like,
3: yeah, it was like he always had like a child's mentality. So, yeah. all the racism and everything that was going on at the time, he just was like, didn't want any part of it. He's just like, he's like, I don't know. I'm just here. You know what I mean? Like, it was. Do you remember the part <laughs> the
4: teacher was smashing his mom? And when the teacher came <laughs> right. out, he was
3: yeah. like, ah, ah, ah. <laughs> he made a sound. He's like, man, your mama sure does care about your education. <laughs> <laughs> and he just looks at him and goes, and <laughs> 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 hey, Jenny was like a
1: little,
4: little, little whore. Oh, can I, yeah, say can uh, I say that? Yeah, she was. Oh, whatever,
3: way? man. It, yeah, you yeah. can. I mean, it's, you mean it in the literal sense. She, she was, man. She, yeah. She had some tough times. She was standing on the edge of a building at one time. Yeah. So yeah. And then I she really- come finally comes back to Forrest Gump just in time to to die. I'm like, damn. How did she die? I don't remember. She dies of like cancer, I think.
4: Okay. Yeah, if you guys any listeners out there, I'm pretty sure we've all seen Forrest Gump, but if you haven't watched it like as an adult to kind of grasp all the like historical events that were placed in that movie, man, go watch that right now. You guys are probably hearing this uh Wednesday morning. So Wednesday night, man, y'all better watch uh, Forrest Gump, man. Great great movie. And he just did everything. He did, you know, I always tell people like me I've lived a great life like I have no like you know, uh regrets or anything that dude lived a great life. Like he, he <laughs> turned kicks for Alabama. And I mean, he just right. did everything. Got shot in the right. butt, in the buttocks. Then he was yeah. like the ping pong world champion. <laughs> like dude <it> was amazing.
3: <laughs> yeah, no, it's, especially right now, I think it's a good time to watch it because, you know, with all the inequality stuff still going on, you know, and you, it, a lot of the movie has to take place, you know, with or a decent chunk of the movie takes place of him living during that time frame when, when black people were still fighting for equality and, you know, Martin Luther King and JFK and all this, you know, all this, this stuff going on. And, and the movie is so like expert at like putting him in all of those situations and making it seem totally legit. Like the segregation part where they're integrating the schools, like cracks me up. Cause you could tell he has no idea like what's going on, or why it's a big deal, and like and he was all on TV, like right. picking up the book. You picked up the book and then just walks in right behind the the young black girl, and like <laughs> just doesn't care.
4: Everybody's looking like what the hell,
3: <laughs> right? Man, what a movie! Now I'm like just thinking about it all the times, like when he's when he's driving that boat and he sees Lieutenant Dan on the dock and he just he's the only one on the boat and he just jumps off of it to swim over to him yeah. like and say hi like there's oh man there's just so that movie is just one of the And you the know all Lieutenant Dan great. loved him but you, Lieutenant Dan was like you dummy <laughs> like, <Right>. like, <laughs> like he like loved and hated dummy? him at the same time.
4: Yeah.
3: That is just an all-time great movie. Well, here at the Strike and Gold podcast, we love to just review movies and and talk movies here, so Shoot, man, me and I could tell Crocker's like me, like I love watching movies and I love watching shows and I take a lot of enjoyment in them and I take them seriously. Like, you know, like I love to talk about, you know, how good I thought, you know, whatever, you know, all the different things like, like I'm a huge Harry Potter fan and I will talk to you about Harry Potter like it's the most serious shit in the world when obviously all it is a movie about like wizards and, and stuff and like. You know, I just I love movies and Forrest Gump isn't is an all-time great that I told
4: you I was gonna watch um the Lord of the Rings and when I saw that they were like all six hours, seven hours long, I was like, you know what, I'll have to find some time to Dude, do this. I don't a, know if it's gonna be right now, but
3: <laughs> it's it's yeah, Lord of the Rings is something else. Cause the the first three movies is what you want to watch the newer hobbit ones were just kind of whatever so you want to watch the first lord of the rings and what's what's weird is the extended versions of the lord of the rings take the movie from like three hours to like four hours or some of them are even like four and a half but the stuff they add is like legit like i don't even want to watch the regular versions anymore because i like the stuff they added in the extended version and but yeah you got to really like You want to watch Lord of the Rings? You got to buckle down. Like you got to say, okay, I'm not. I'm turning my phone off this weekend, and we're going one, two, three, back to back. You know, like it's 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 a commitment. But that's those are some all all time greats too.
4: I mean, I I, I guess I can do it though. I mean, I've been binge watching all these other shows, so you know, it's, it's no difference. It's just a movie. I think it's just like when you click to watch it, and you're like four hours. Like what the hell? But then I sit there and watch. Six episodes of Queen of the South, right? right <laughs> you know
3: what I'm saying, right? Hell, you, you watched you watched like five seasons of Hell on Wheels in like like two weeks max, like a week. Yeah, it was like a week. Right, the show was good,
4: man. That was good. You, you, I, I haven't gotten into uh, Peaky Blinders. Um, I watched a couple episodes, but I, I don't know either. if I was distracted or whatnot. But I didn't, I couldn't get into it just yet. Um, and now I, I moved over to um, Queen of the South, great show. But now I'm going to try to get back into uh. Piggy Blinders.
3: Have you seen Band of Brothers? Nuh-uh. Oh, man. Are, do you like military stuff? Yes. Okay. I, I would... I mean, in all honesty, I would... Band of Brothers, since it's technically not a movie, is my favorite thing ever put on film. That's just what I say, because it's not a movie. Like, it's the greatest thing... To me, the greatest thing ever put on film. and It's a 10-part series on HBO... Of you know, about soldiers in World War II, unbelievable, like incredible, like one of the best things ever created. And so, you know, if you're if you're kind of like in the in between things, um I would go for that, dude. Like it it will change it will change your life, dude. It will give you a new appreciation for what those guys did. It made me join the military. Did it really? I, I always had like a Kind of a a thing in the back of my mind, like, you know, that maybe I would want to join the military when I was young. And then I watched that and I and I looked at it at what those like young men younger than me at the time, you know, what they did. And I was like, man, I can't settle with my or I can't I can't confront myself knowing people did this so that I could be here chilling right now and me not like do a little bit myself. Like, that's right. what I told myself. I was like, wow. I was like, it didn't have to do with needing a job. Didn't have to do with money. Didn't have to do with, I had nothing else going for me. I was just like, I've got to do this because I feel like I owe it to guys that went and did shit like that. You know, shit that is way heavier than anything going on nowadays. And, and that's why I did it, you know, and it, I, I I would recommend it, dude. It's, it's something else. But anyways, oh, when, we're you, like,
4: when you went into the military,
3: um, I decided to join the military when I was halfway through college. So I was like 20, 21. Okay. Um, but, but I did it in a way where it's called ROTC, where I, I went into the military, but I stayed in college. I had a military college class every semester. Um, I had exercise in the mornings. And then two summers in a row, I went and did like like my basic training was like split into two summers in a row. Um, because obviously, they couldn't, you couldn't go and, and have it overlap. And take you out of college, so they split it up, and and then when I graduate from college, I was an officer, so I was I was I was in charge of people, you know, right when I got out. So did right when I got out, I was you, in charge of like forty people. Did they help you
4: take care of like the rest of your college? You know, after you were halfway there,
3: they did. Well, they will very easily. Like it's like a common route. I didn't have them do it because my parents were already paying for my school, and um, if you have them pay for your college, the army, you have to go active duty and you, and you have to do four years. But if they don't pay for your college, you can choose national guard, army reserves or active duty. And then it's only three years. Okay. So I, I did active, I still did active duty, but I only did three years and then I got out. Oh, nice. But it was, it was something else. Okay. So we'll, we'll talk more about this off, off, <laughs> off the well, pod. We always like, about me,
4: so I think, you know, it was kind of good for people to hear that, you know,
3: you know, yeah, I guess, I mean, it's true. I, I don't like talking about myself, so, but it is true. <laughs> <laughs> it is true. Um, but yeah, it's, I one, I think once I get you to watch it, you'll understand. Like it yeah. is the most incredible story and it follows the same group of guys the whole time. You know, they're, they're basically from training to go to war to the World War II ending and everything those guys did, it shows the real guys when they're older. And what's cool is throughout the whole series, before the episode starts, it shows the old guys, the real people talking, but you never know who they are. They just you just see them talking and commenting on what they were going through at the time. And then at the very end of the series, it, it finally tells you who they are and you know which character they were the whole time. It's it's dude, it's phenomenal. Tom oh, Hanks, dope. Tom Hanks and Steven Spielberg, I think, made it. It's something else, dude. But anyway, so we're worth almost fifteen minutes into the pod. We haven't even talked about single 49ers yeah. but that's all right Speaking you guys
4: the are- brothers the 49ers
3: uh, <laughs> <laughs> we have you know there's there's a close knit group right there um no i mean you guys listening right now are here obviously we talked i think we've talked enough 49ers to earn a little bit of leeway with what with what we're talking about right now so i don't know sometimes you never know it just gets weird but so finally it seems like the 49ers have gone a little bit of time without giving us some sort of news you know like last week we were talking about you know at least everybody was talking about Kendrick Bourne and kind of his opportunity and what he could do and George Kittle's contract and Debo Samuel's injury and and all that stuff so now we're just going to continue with our roster breakdown where we're like I said we're just going to go from position to position and talk about some of like the key players in that group and kind of what what which way that might you know, lean, if there's any like X factors or if there's anybody fighting for a role, stuff like that. So we're going to start off with the offensive line, which I mean, neither Crocker nor I are big O-line guys. We don't like, you know, it it would be tough for us to talk O-line for any extended period of time. But obviously there's a little bit of, of variance going into 2020 because Joe Staley retired, you know, which is kind of a big deal. You know, he's, he's an absolute legend within the 49ers community. He was one of the best left tackles in the game. And now obviously he started to struggle toward the latter part of his career and the latter part of last season um, due to his injuries. But, you know, like he, he came out and said like, like his neck injury was, was something he was dealing with before the season and throughout the season, it just progressively got worse as he dealt with like the fractured leg And the broken hand and all this other stuff. So, you know, I guess when he talks about it like that, his retirement wasn't all that surprising. When he talks about it like that, you know, like, and then his neck injury was getting worse. And he he said one of the options the doctors were talking about was fusing his neck to where you wouldn't actually be able to look side to side. And that's the type of stuff he was was risking towards the end of his career. So that's why. And to me, like, when you put it in that perspective, he's like, dude, I have two young girls I got to raise. Like I want to be able to turn my neck. <laughs> and and I know you can relate to that, Crocker, because you have you have young kids. And when it comes to something like that, I'm sure the the decision to retire and stop playing is very easy. Like inside it probably hurts and sucks because you want to keep playing the game. But when it comes to like there being a permanent change to your body that will inhibit the rest of your life, I'm sure retiring is a lot easier. Mm-hmm. In that sense, you know, what do you I mean what as dad and as a father and as someone who played, what was your take on, on all of what Joe said about retiring?
4: No, very I mean, I had a very I want to say very similar experience. I was an all-time great football player, you know, at, you know, at any level. But um when I was playing arena football, uh I had this the San Jose Sabercats, you know, they were a staple organization in the arena football league for years. And all of a sudden, in 2015, we won the Arena Bowl championship. And, you know, San Jose, that's about an hour away from Stockton, where I'm from. So, you know, my family, for the first time in years, my family was able to come to all my games. My kids were there. I was back in Stockton. You know, a lot of times I drive home after, you know, practice and, you know, I I guess in – In football, you're done kind of fairly early, like, you know, one o'clock. Your your day is over with pretty much. So a lot of times I would just drive back to Stockton and I was able to see my kids all the time. Well, for whatever reason, after the year, we won the Arena Bowl championship and the Sabercats just went away. I guess the owners just decided they didn't want to be in the league anymore. They didn't want to have anything to do with it. Their their owners were uh, Fry's. So John Fry and all those guys are like the founders of Fry's Electronics. Which is oh, okay. uh, big, you know, big over here on the West Coast, but um, is, for you guys that don't know, it's kind of like a almost like a Best Buy, but not as big as for, uh, Best Buy. But yeah, anyways, so um, yeah, they just decided not to do it, and every, you know, of course, all the you know the arena football teams that came knocking at my door or calling my phone and asking me to, you know, what you know, offering me contracts and. I turned it down because at this point, you know, I had been out of state m- most of, you know, since 2000, this was 2015 when this was all going down. But since 2009, 2010, I, I had been out of state and away from my kid, my son. And at this time, I I had a daughter as well. And I just wasn't willing to leave the state. I had opportunities to go play in Orlando, Florida, um, you know, uh, Washington, Spokane, Washington, uh, a bunch of different states. But I was like, nope, I'm not leaving anymore. And it did it definitely like when your decision is for your kids, uh, it makes it easier. So yeah, I, I completely understand with Joe Staley. And, you know, obviously he had a much better, uh, lustrous career than I ever did. Uh but, you know, I, I get it. You know, when you start thinking about the, your kids and you know your quality of life. Like who wants to play with their kids and not really be able to t- turn their head or You know, what if it's something that, you know, ends up paralyzing them or, you know, you just never know um, how that whole thing could turn, turn out. And I thought he got out at a great point where it's like, you know what? I've put everything I had into this game and now, you know, I just want to go and, you know, be there for my kids. And um, yeah, I'm pretty sure for him, the the toughest thing, I think that I still deal with is just the, you know, being in the locker room with your, with your buddies. Um, But Outside of that, like the actual playing the game, I don't think I don't think I missed that part. It, and I, I think that's going to be the biggest thing for him, just not being in a locker room with the guys. Um, but you know, being with his kids, I'm pretty sure that's that's going to um, fill a big <laughs> void.
3: That's like that, I can relate to that too, because that's how the military was for me. Now I never deployed. Um, it just I, it was just something I was never asked to do. I got put in a unit where all we did was test the army's new stuff. Like we would go out into the desert and and, and kind of like play war with with other people and you know in like these huge exercises spanning across the desert and we would test the army's new stuff and decide if it was if it was you know usable in combat or not and that's what i did for three years and i never deployed but obviously my point being is like whenever anybody asks me if i miss the military i'm like hell no Like, you know, like all the, the waking up early and doing dumb shit that you don't want to do and all the extra duties and the overnight stuff. And like the list goes on and on. But the one thing I do miss is just the relationships with the guys you're with, you know, like, and that's the same thing, like a football team. And, and, and Joe Staley was, you know, you build relationships with these guys and sure they move on, but you stay friends and, and, you know, like, that's the thing I always can relate to is when somebody asks me if I miss being in the military, the answer is Always absolutely not and it's not close. <laughs> like but you know, then I think about all the all the guys I was friends with and all the the laughs and the pranks and the doing dumb stuff and that's the stuff you miss. You miss the camaraderie, but but it's but I mean I don't miss it enough to want to be in the military again. So it's I mean I can relate to that, but so anyways. Joe Staley retires and for any normal I, I'm not I'm not gonna say for any normal organization that that's like a weird way of saying it but in in most cases that would leave a massive void for a team and there's no mistaking that Joe Staley retiring leaves a void but at the same time John Lynch decides to pull a little magic and bring it and trade for tr- left tackle Trent Williams of the Washington Redskins and who is considered one of, if not maybe not the, because he took a you know he took a little year off and he had some health a little bit of health stuff going on, but he's considered one of the best left tackles in the game, like and by a lot of people, an upgrade over Joe Staley in in like their current forms. So with when it comes to left tackle going into 2020, despite the fact that an all time great just retired. The 49ers look like and, – and obviously, uh, Trent Williams didn't play last year. He decided to, to hold out and not play and um, just wasn't happy with the way things were going in Washington – You know, there may be a little bit of a breaking in period for him, but he's still one of the best left tackles in the game, and and the 49ers are going to be able to say they go from Joe Staley to Trent Williams. And the biggest kind of question mark when it comes to Trent Trent Williams is, you know, obviously can he return to form, but also he's really, the 49ers really only have him for this season, and then they've got to try and work out a long-term deal or or something to that effect. So, But as far as drop-off going into the season, the 49ers shouldn't, shouldn't really see much of anything with Trent Williams there, you know, like it's for, for Jimmy G and his blind side, it's like, all right, you know, from, from one elite player to another, essentially. So that's a huge deal. That's a, that's a, I mean, it's just, everybody was just like, I remember the, the best example of a reaction to the 49ers making that move was from Sean McVay, the head coach of the Rams, who basically was in an interview and somebody mentioned the 49ers getting Trent Williams. And he's like, oh yeah, the 49ers got Trent Williams. Huh? And he's like, I'm going to go have another drink. Like, (laughs) you know, like when you lose somebody like Joe Staley, there should be consequences to that. You know, like there should be a drop off or something, but the 49ers just managed to squeak their way into that deal and and pull Trent Williams away from Washington for a third round pick next year and a fifth round pick this year, which for a premium left tackle that, you know, if, if they work on another deal could play for years for the team. I mean, that's nothing. So, that's crazy. And then you have Lincoln Tomlinson coming back at left guard. Um, I mean no change there. The, the biggest thing with the 49ers offensive line is uh, outside of a couple spots, there's still quite a bit of continuity going forward. You know, so you have Lincoln Tomlinson coming back at left guard, who I would just like to say like what a steal from John Lynch. Like I remember when he first traded for Lincoln Tomlinson everybody was like, "Huh, oh, that's cool." You know what I mean? Like, dang. Uh, I, th- I think he, what did he give up? It wasn't a lot. Was it a, was, was it, it a Jeremy round pick? Was it see, Jeremy was, Curly? Let me see if I can even dig this up. I think he might have been a part of it. Order Train, Tomlinson. I should know this. Um, for a 2019 fifth round pick. Oh, okay. I know there was Jeremy Curly was, was somewhere.
4: Well, I know but, they yeah. traded for Jeremy Curly. It was, it was almost like they got them the same way. Like, right. They, they got Jeremy Curly like, right before season and then I think it was the same thing with Lakin Tomlinson. And and also I know you brought up John Lynch and big ups to him for pulling the trigger, but I, I would bet Mayhew had a big oh, part yeah. to to you know to a big hand in that. Uh, you know, obviously he drafted, he drafted him, him when right? he was with when while he was the general manager of the Detroit Lions, so I'm pretty sure he had a, you know, he had a big say so in that, and maybe you know, big recommendation there, and that's been a surprising uh, thing. I think like a lot of forty nine er fans, they probably get a little frustrated at Tom. I think he's had like a, maybe a few too many penalties, but um, overall, I mean, I think he he might be like, I think everybody talks about Quan Williams as being the most underrated player, but Tomlinson, he he might be up there as well.
3: Yeah, he is like a freak athlete. He's one of the strongest guys in the locker room. And I guarantee you that was something where, where Martin Mayhew was like, look, I have a lot of faith in this guy. That's why I drafted him. And it just wasn't a good fit in Detroit. Give him a call. See what you can get him for. And and let's see if he has a better career over here. Because maybe he's – I don't know what kind of system the Detroit Lions are running. And, and maybe he just wasn't a good fit there. And, you know, I know the the Lions – probably throw the ball a lot more than, you know, some, the Kyle Shanahan scheme. And, but like I said, Lincoln Tomlinson, super athletic. You should see this guy in person, like his arms are like the size of my waist. Like he is just a big do strong dude. Like, and you could see why he excels kind of in Kyle Shanahan's system and, and he's able to get out there in space and, and do a good job blocking. And we're not, I'm not saying, I'm not saying that Lincoln Tomlinson is some elite player, but to trade a, uh, I think this was all the way back in, you know, it, it was a future fifth round pick. You know what I mean? So there's not a whole lot of value when they traded for him. But to trade for a guy like that and then have him work out into a kind of like a mainstay player, someone who you can rely on at that spot and has stayed in that spot. He's a guy they extended and they're keeping around it. You know, that that's just a that's just solid general manager work right there. And, you know, obviously, kudos to, to Laken Tomlinson for turning his, his career around. But I follow a guy named Brandon Thorne on Twitter, who's a really, really big O-line guy, one of the best. You know, I know one of the most respected O-line guys on Twitter, on football, excuse me, football Twitter, but he had a very high opinion of Lincoln Tomlinson. He could, just couldn't really figure out why it wasn't working out in Detroit. And, you know, there were still flashes, flashes of great play, but it wasn't an he, I've even spoken to him a couple of times and he's like, dude, I, like, I'm just such a huge fan of Lincoln Tomlinson and how he was able to turn it around in San Francisco. And he's like, sometimes that's just how it works out. You go to a new place and things change you're asked to do different things and all of a sudden you're in a better fit and you're showing the skills that you were meant to show. And so all that stuff. So, I mean, that's a, the 49ers in a good place at left guard at center. Things are a little weird. You know, you have, you have uh Weston Richburg who tore his patellar tendon um, last year. And that's kind of a pretty significant injury. If you reach down and, and follow your kneecap down towards like your feet, that huge tendon underneath right underneath your kneecap you can feel it going down towards your um you know like the bottom part of your leg and you can kind of run your your finger back and forth over it that's your patellar tendon so it's a huge tendon that basically sits on top of your kneecap and 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 on top slash out in front of and you know, imagine tearing that entire thing. So if you're, you're listening to this right now, reach down underneath your kneecap and just feel that big tendon that goes straight down. Uh, you know, imagine that whole thing tearing, you know, that's a pretty significant injury. And Richburg is expected to be ready for the season or excuse me, be ready for training camp, but who knows with the way things are going right now. Um, who knows if, if any of the, uh, the pandemic has, has slowed his recovery a bit just because of the way things are with trainers. I don't know, but he's he's expected to kind of be ready to go right there around training camp time. Um, but the good thing for the 49ers is they also signed Ben Garland last year, who stepped in really well, played you know all through the latter half of the season and through the playoffs and into the Super Bowl. And the, what I would usually, what I like to say about old linemen is if you're not hearing their name, they're doing their job. You know, they're, they're, it's not that he was, you know, necessarily like a stud or anything, but you never really heard his name when he was in there, meaning he was doing what he's supposed to do, and he, he wasn't getting the crap kicked out of him, and he filled in really well, and the 49ers brought him back next season. So, you know, like I said, with continuity, you're still going to have going through the start of training camp, either it's going to be Ben Garland or Weston Richburg at center and both of which have had a lot of experience in the system and on this team and with the guys around them. So they're good. You know, they're, they're good there. That's a good problem to have. Right. And then at I right like guard,
4: Ben Garland, man, I, I think there's this one play against the uh, Seahawks. Everybody kind of, you know, it was the, it was the touchdown run by Debo Samuel. I think everybody looks to the, Blocked by Emmanuel Sanders out in front. I think Kyle Youchek. I think he took out two guys, man. But if you you watch Ben Garland, he was out in front there too, man. And he got a cut block like twenty yards downfield that helped spring uh, Debo into the end zone. And I was like, man, that was Ben Garland, the replacement center. <laughs> you know, I, I think he was okay. You know, and I don't. I, don't yeah. I, I won't claim to you know watch every snap of his or. But I felt like. He wasn't really the issue. Um, it seemed like most of the issues came from the right guard position, but maybe they go hand in hand. I don't, I don't
3: know. Right. And, and then, you know, there's a lot of communication and teamwork that goes on in, in those O line fits and stuff like that. But, and then at right guard, you had Mike Person, who was a veteran guy, and he was somebody the 49ers brought in. Uh, last season, who who played okay, and then they kept him around and signed him to extension um, at the end of last season, and he they they ended up releasing him. I, I'm assuming you know, obviously, its extension wasn't it, you know there wasn't really any guarantees to it, and the 49ers not ended up ended up cutting him. Um, but and the reason they kind of had the luxury of doing that is Daniel Brunskill. Now Daniel Brunskill is. A, a former AAF offensive lineman. He played for the San Diego fleet, um, which was the league before the XFL to tried to get going that I was a huge fan of. I loved watching it. I loved the concept. I thought the football was at least watchable and I enjoyed it, but it didn't end up working out. And, you know, obviously things didn't end up working out with the XFL either. So, and this is a guy they just got off of that league who has stepped in and has just been outstanding. Like, I think I, I, I'd have to go back and find the the exact numbers, but I think he ended up in the snaps he had. He ended up being like one of the 49ers highest, if not the highest graded offensive lineman on the 49ers from like a pro football focus standpoint. Yeah, um, it was, the, it
4: was the highest graded and like highest grader in uh pass protection as well.
3: Right. And you have, you know, this, he stepped in for, I can't remember who stepped in for who. I know Daniel Bruns at one point it was Daniel school and Justin School, both excuse me, stepping in for Joe Staley and Mike McGlinchey during their injuries. Yeah. And, and I I want to you know, say
4: it was uh school stepped in first at right tackle for McGlinchey. And then when Staley went down, uh uh Brunschool stepped in for Staley. And right. then what happened was I want to say Staley, did he go down again, maybe? And then and then
3: it was Brunskill, right?
4: And then Brunskill went over to left tackle, but he struggled. I think it was against the Packers. And then they brought in, uh, I mean, not Brunskill, a uh, school.
3: Right, uh, right, they, right, right. He
4: came in at left tackle first, and he struggled against the Packers, I want to say, and they replaced him with Brunskill. And then Brunskill was kind of like the main guy, you know, after that.
3: Right, and and this is a guy who's just stepped in and played well, and I think that they also signed uh Tom Compton, who is you know n- not necessarily a noteworthy player, but a guy who has experience in Kyle Shanahan's system, both in the Falcons um, and I believe Washington before that, and so they signed him, so I feel like they they think they have an option there, but i I feel like the 49ers fully expect Daniel Brunskill to step in at that right guard spot, and which is just such a huge plus. For the 49ers to find a guy basically off the streets, as they would say, that was playing in the AAF that just comes in and proves he can hang in the NFL and not just hang, but excel. Now, we'll see if he, how he fits into the system for at guard because most of his, his time with the 49ers last year was at tackle. And, you know, obviously there's some athleticism to, to be on that needs to be put on display as far as run blocking and stuff like that because his his huge plus was pass protection which obviously there's no you know there's no no slide of importance there but so we'll see how he fits into the equation there's some competition there at the right guard spot you know, that's, that's kind of like our first spot that we've gotten to where there's kind of competition for it. I wouldn't say there's necessarily competition at center because Western Richburg's the guy. They signed him to a big contract. As long as he's healthy, then he should be considered the starter. But Ben Garland is a solid option there. And Ben Garland, depending on how Western Richburg comes back, could also compete for the right guard spot along with Daniel Brunskill. So there's just a little bit of flux in there. And then finally, you get to right tackle Mike McGlinchey. Not really a whole lot to say there other than I think he's worked out really well. You know, like what's interesting is if you Mike McGlinchey, he looks like an old man and he has the personality of an old man. Kind of like he just kind of seemed like a veteran from the start in his personality. So he's obviously over there at right tackle and the 49ers have a lot of continuity there. And you know, you have an O-line group that's been playing well the last couple seasons and they should kind of just keep right on rolling, you know, and the longer you can get a group like that to play together, obviously there's some changes there, but the longer you can get a group to play together like that, the longer, you know, or the most, more success you're going to have, the more comfortable everybody's going to be, the more they can do without communicating or, you know, stuff like that. But all right. So, and then, obviously, you have a couple guys who are who are behind them. Like uh, you know, they still have Sean Coleman, who they traded for. You know, they still have Justin School, who's a, a second-year player that proved he can he can at least hang. You know, he did struggle, but he had some great reps too. And then you have um, Colton McKivitz, the, the rookie that they drafted in the fifth round this year. Um, you know, who, who knows where where he's going to be competing. Uh, or if he if, if he ends up factoring into the equation, we'll see. But you know they have a lot of quality depth, but the starting lineup is pretty pretty solid there. You know that's a lot of uh, that's a lot of continuity. Um, and then before I'm going to go ahead, we're going to get a quick word in from our sponsors, um, Bet Online, and then we will when we come back we'll hit on the running back group. So right now you guys know it's a weird time in sports but there's still no shortage of action going on at our exclusive partners betonline.ag sports are slowly waking making their way back and bet online is leading the way with the best odds and lines for all ufc nascar boxing soccer and soon to be major league baseball if you need any more They have simulated NFL, NBA, and UFC simulations all day, every day, live on their website. If you're looking for something else other than sports, BetOnline's got hundreds of casino games, poker tournaments, prop bets. Check it out. Visit BetOnline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE for a free welcome bonus. That's one word, BLUEWIRE, B-L-U-E-W-I-R-E. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. All right. So that's kind of the O line in a, in a quick little breakdown, not necessarily, you know, it's, it's a pretty solid group. There's just, you know, like I said, there's a couple, there's really one kind of, you know, right guard and center. There's some flux there, but it's just a solid group coming back that I expect to be, to be solid this year. Um, And then obviously going hand in hand with the offensive line is the running back group is the running back group. You know, so Croc, I feel like I'm doing a little too much talking. What is like your, and you can talk as long as you want on this. When you just think about the 49ers group of running backs, what are you thinking about?
4: Explosive. And at any time, you know, any of them them can kind of get off. Now it was, I wouldn't even say surprising. You could tell that it was a bit of a crowded backfield and somebody had to go And I think a lot of people thought, man, you know, with the money involved, maybe it's Tevin Coleman, ended up being Matt Breda. And, man, Matt Breda, that was a strange situation, right? I mean, dude was extremely explosive. I was watching, like, a rerun of a a game from earlier this year, and I'm like, man, like, dude's fast. He's explosive. And it seems like he can really be a guy, but he just never, you know, I I spoke a little bit about, you know, Kendrick Bourne and taking advantage of your opportunities. It seemed like he never truly took – hold of the opportunity at hand where he had several opportunities to say, you know what, I'm the guy, this is my backfield, I'm the lead guy. And it just never, it never happened, you know, for whatever reason. Then he had his fumbling uh, issues later in the year and that was the end of (laughs) Matt Breda. Um, But now you go into a season where still extremely explosive, Raheem Mostert, looks like he might be the guy that was taking control of the running back position, Obviously, Tevin Coleman, you have Jerick McKinnon coming back, and it looks like we finally would be able to see Jerick McKinnon. He's been doing a lot of training with my guy Rashad uh, Whitfield, a.k.a. the, the Footwork King. Uh, McKinnon looks great. And Jeff Wilson. And, you know, Jeff Wilson, another guy who, you know, he was a more of a goal linebacker, but, you know, uh, I know 49ers used him several times. I, I want to say over a two-game span, he had like four, four touchdowns. Um, but another solid runner. So I think at the end of the day, they have four guys who they're probably confident, really confident in. I don't know if they'll keep all four, but you have to be extremely happy with at least the combination of Coleman and, uh, Mostert. And then whoever makes it after that, whether it's, you know, McKinnon, uh, you know, a combination of like McKinnon, or if it's, you know, Wilson, I think we know what we get from him or even, uh, you know, the undrafted back out of Baylor. Can't think of his name right now. But, you know, another hard runner, not as explosive as, you know, Mostert or Coleman, but – and maybe not the receiving back as a McKinnon, but, you know, we'll see what he brings. Obviously, they feel like he's somebody that fits uh, their scheme, and they've pretty much been money with finding guys, especially like undrafted guys, whether it's Bredo or Jeff Wilson, you know, guys that kind of just fit how they want to run the ball. and. um, Maybe he's another guy that's like that. So I I like the running back group, right? Not that uh, special guy. I don't want to say that these guys aren't special, but not that, you know, the Saquon Barkley or, you know, just somebody that you know for sure this is our true running back one. And at first I was like, man, 49ers need that guy. Like, who's the finisher? Who's the closer? Who's the guy that's just going to give the ball to no matter what? Uh maybe they don't have that one guy, but they definitely have guys that run in their scheme extremely well. And yeah, I mean, I have no this might be one of the positions where it's like I have zero issues with this position group at all. I'm extremely confident in that group. This might be the only well and the D-line. But yeah.
3: Right. No, I, I mean I agree, man. And you were you were looking for Jamichael Hasty. Hasty. Yes. Jermichael Hasty. That's the uh, the guy out of Baylor that they brought in who who's pretty interesting. And then they also brought in Salvin Ahmed, who's out of Washington. So they, they they really, those are the two undrafted additions, guys that, you know, and the 49ers might be one of the only teams where when they sign an undrafted free agent running back, you're like, okay, I need to look into this guy and I need to see what he can do because they just find guys, you know, that, that, are, that are productive at an NFL level. And, you know, I just, I feel like, Kyle Shanahan and and running backs coach Bobby Turner, they just know exactly what they want in a player and exactly what fits into their system. And, and, you know, like we were just talking about with Flake and Tomlinson, if, if you can get a guy that fits, it will, it will enhance what they already do. Well, you know, there's, there's just talented players and then there's talented players that get put into a system they fit in. And that's just kind of like a bonus. So, you know, some of these guys went undrafted, but at the same time, if they get put into a situation where they can thrive, then they might not necessarily look like an undrafted player. That's how all the 49ers have had all these guys, the Matt Breedas, you know, the Raheem Mostert's, the, these guys that step in and immediately just look like, like, well, how did this guy go undrafted? You know, like that's that's just kind of the way it is because Kyle Shanahan's offense is so prolific that it, it just enhances players' abilities. So it's definitely an interesting group and I, and I'm right there with you when it comes to like, there's, there's really no way. I mean, I guess given, you know, there, there, there could be injury stuff, but the the group is set and, and, you know, the, really the only thing it's lacking is kind of like the obvious, like you're saying the obvious number one back. Now, if you were to ask me who that is, I would say that's Raheem Mostert. Like, and the good thing about Raheem is, is I'm friends with Raheem. Uh, I play call of duty with him pretty often. Um, I have a very, you know, solid awareness of the type of person he is and his personality. Like this is a dude that like, there's an old saying that says that's basically like speak softly, but carry a big stick. You know, it means like, don't talk, but let, you know, be ready to rock, you know, let your, let your actions speak for themselves essentially. And that is like the essence of Raheem Mostert. Like he Is a very humble dude. He's very chill. He's very down to earth. He's very kind. Like in in all my time of of talking with Raheem, I never once got a, a hint of like a big time attitude type of guy. Now, don't get that confused with confidence in himself. He's a very confident guy. And, you know, take it from me when I say he believes he is the 49ers number one running back. He believes he should be the 49ers number one running back. He believes he has the ability to be that guy. He believes, he even believes he should get paid like that guy. You know, I'm not saying like, you know, these huge Ezekiel Elliott type content. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying he knows what he is. He knows what he can be. He knows what he wants to be, you know, and and he's right in there. He's going into the season thinking he's the number one guy. And I, and I, I have to believe that Kyle Shanahan is smart enough to know that that's at least the way it should start. There's no question to how the season was ending and who kind of emerged as the 49ers number one threat in the backfield. It eventually got to where if, when, when Raheem wasn't in the backfield, fans, I mean, and that's obviously fans aren't necessarily the harbinger of all football knowledge, but they were pissed like, because he was having such a massive impact in the games. You know, and he last season, he averaged, you know, five, averaged 5.6 yards per carry which if you're not kind of keen on running back stats, that's huge. That's a first huge. down every, every two plays. <laughs> this, that stat, and even though Tevin Coleman had a pretty, pretty huge chunk of it as well, that stat right there is why the 49ers just were ran wild in the playoffs. They had running backs averaging a first down every two plays. You know, like one of the greatest playoff performances of all time was Raheem Mostert in the NFC Championships against Green Bay. He ran, he had, in case you just happened to have forgot about this, he had 29 carries for 220 yards and four touchdowns. That is just, mm. that is unreal. And he averaged 7.5 yards per carry. Like that is football porn for running backs like that is just absurd and so he, he you know,
4: averaged a big number two the year before where um i want to say obviously unlimited carries and then he ended up breaking his arm against the raiders but um he he averaged eight, over seven eight, yards a carry i want to say in 2018 7.6 right and that's just another example of you know, someone taking advantage of the opportunity—the opportunity that they were given. You know, he averaged seven point six yards in 2018, but still, people were like, "Oh no," you know, because really, remember before then, and I want to say even before last season, even after he had had, you know, he had a you know seven point six yards to carry in 2018, they were saying he was nothing more than just a gunner. You know, I, and, and when I say they, I'm talking about like just certain people on Twitter. Uh, He was nothing more than just a gunner, and nothing special. He's just a special teamer, which he was an amazing special teamer. But it's all about getting that opportunity, man. And you know, I think before last season, people could have thrown out there, "Well, if he's so good, or if he can be a starting running back in the NFL, why did he get cut from five, six, seven different teams, seven, eight different times?" You know. (laughs) And again, and I say it, and I've said it before, and I've already said it on this podcast you have to take advantage of the opportunities given to you. And people don't really know, man, there's so much politics that goes into it. Did Raheem Mostert just all of a sudden learn how to play running back, you know, after getting cut seven times? No. He's been <laughs> on him, But he didn't have the opportunity. And now, you know, he he still had to wait his turn. Even after last year, 7.6 yards a carry, and then broke his arm, obviously. He came in, and he was still going to be behind, Uh, McKinnon, he was still going to be behind Coleman. He was still going to be behind Breda. And all of a sudden, injuries started happening. Uh, You know, uh, McKinnon didn't play this to start, well, he didn't play at all. Uh, Coleman had a high ankle sprain on like one of his first carries of the season. And from there, it's like, well, okay, it's just me and Breda. I kind of, now you kind of have to give them that opportunity. Even then, I think they were still maybe a little reluctant because he was their best gunner. And you went from that to now, it's like, oh man, like everybody loves him. He's the undisputed uh, number one running back on the 49ers. And again, I, I can't stress it enough. It's all about getting that opportunity. And now he he had that opportunity, a real opportunity to kind of pr- uh, uh, prove himself. And I think now people expect him to be the number one guy, like you were saying, heading into the season, as he expects it too. But... People always, you know, the players always have that type of confidence in themselves. They just need that opportunity. And it's great to see him uh, take advantage of that. He was ready for the moment and, and he took advantage of that.
3: And to me, like, if you look at Raheem's history and what he's been through and how many teams he was cut from, like, it takes a special type of person to go through that when it comes to their dream, you know, their dream of playing professional football. And to be cut that many times and be passed along from that many teams and not eventually say, okay, I'm done. You know what I mean? It's obvious that, that I'm not going to make it in this league and I'm done. Now, you know, obviously if, if an NFL team comes calling, there's very few people out there, you know, towards the beginning of the career that will say no, but at the same time, you know, that, this guy was cut by like six different teams or cut six different times and he still just kept going and then boom. He finally fi- hit that that opportunity, like Crocker said, and that fit, and that moment, and boom! Now, now you're talking about the guy like he's one of the better what running backs in the league. And you know, it, I feel like if statistically, if he were given a running back one's workload, he would have running back one numbers. You know, it, it, I feel like he would be among the best statistical running backs in the league, whether it's touchdowns yards per carry, receiving yards, I feel like he'd he'd be up there. I mean, last last just in the playoffs alone, he had five touchdowns, you know, scored once in the in the Super Bowl four times against Green Bay and then he scored eight times during the regular season. Uh like the guy is just an absolute stud. And there's just you know, there's no well, excuse me, He had eight rushing touchdowns in the regular season. He caught two touchdown passes. So he's, I mean, he had 15 touchdowns last season if you include the playoffs. Like this is a, you know, there's, I guess you could say there's still some, some, you know, maybe there's still some facts, not facts. What's the best way to say this? Maybe he still needs more time, still needs more experience. But everything we've seen about this guy is, you know, the 49ers leading back. But as we know with Shanahan, the same things were being said about Matt Breida at one time and his ridiculous stats. And he was over averaging over five yards of carry and he was just breaking off huge plays. But I feel like Shanahan's doghouse, you know, if you get on his bad side is like very, <laughs> I don't know. It's a really strong house and it's and it's got a small door. So if you get put in there. It's hard to get out. You know, like that's how I feel it is. You can see it right now with Dante Pettis where, I mean, that was a guy that a second round pick that they traded up for and he's getting no snaps. You know, there's, he, he has, he has pulled himself beyond the politics and the same thing happened with Matt Breida didn't obviously people were stepping up around him. Tevin Coleman was playing decent, he was just playing decent football. Raheem Mostert was exploding. And then every time, you know, it seemed like every time Matt Breida got into the game, at least he was getting such limited snaps that those fumbles he had just magnified, you know, kind of his place as like the third running back or maybe the fourth running back. So it was just it was just a weird transition from Raheem Mostert emerging as the guy and Matt Breida taking like two steps back and essentially just, you know, becoming a trade piece, you know, and, and he was traded to the Miami dolphins for, I believe a fifth round pick. And, and that was it, you know, and that's what he amounted to now for the 49ers, obviously, uh, unless Matt Breida explodes, maybe, you know, maybe they'd have some regret there if he just ends up taking off. But at the same time, they took an undrafted player and traded him for a fifth round pick, you know, and that's just, that's just a a non, uh, you know, a tip of the cap to the scouting department and, and everybody that went into finding that guy because he gets into the league, he's an undrafted guy, he succeeds and he builds up value and then they traded him for a draft pick. So, you know, it's the same type of draft pick that they went and found George Kittle with. So there's, there, you know, there's a lot of a back and forth going on there. Now, Tevin Coleman, I mentioned him is, he's just kind of a complimentary piece. You know, he's he's been decent. He hasn't been bad. You know, his, his big game was against the Vikings uh, in the playoffs. He had 22 carries for 105 yards and two touchdowns. He was basically that, the hammer at the end of the game, there was that point where the 49ers picked off um, Kirk Cousins. I was like figuring out his name again. (laughs) They picked him off, and then they just ran the ball every single time from about the 50-yard line all the way into the end zone. Every single play on that drive was a running play, and it was just Tevin Coleman just boom, 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 pounded all the way in and then into the end zone. And it was just such a demoralizing drive for the Vikings. Like, we cannot stop these guys. Like, this game is over type of drive. You know, and it was um, – and that's kind of what Tevin Coleman does, I feel like, in this offense. He picks up the tough yards. You know what I mean? He's, he's not – he's averaging just under four yards a carry. He averaged almost five yards a carry in the playoffs. But throughout the season, he was just under four yards a carry, which still is not bad. You know, like uh, I said. It's, you know, it's not ideal. You you, it's,
4: you want to be oh, so ideally you want to be over four. Now if right. you're over like four and a half, that's that's you're 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 doing really good. Like if you're over four, it's like okay, it's, it's acceptable. Over four and a half, that's like okay, that's that's solid, that that's good. Right. Now once I, you're taking over five and five and a half, that's like <laughs> exceptional.
3: Right, and and that's the what the point I was about to make is like Raheem Mostert's numbers are not necessarily normal. You know, like that's not the average. He's well above average. Tevin Coleman is right around average, maybe a little bit below. So he's kind of like just a a complimentary running back to that. Kyle Shanahan knows he can come in and rely on him to, you know, pick up the hard yards. And and like I said, he's, you know, he still had, you know, eight touchdowns on the season, nine touchdowns on the season. He was good in the playoffs, 4.6 yards a carry. Uh, He was just sometimes that hard yards guy, but the offense You know, in the running game, did notice look noticeably less effective when Tevin Coleman was in the game versus Raheem Mostert. And like I said, there's so many different scenarios that go into that, and and, you know how every play unfolds. But so he's kind of like their solid running back too. The only kind of caveat to Coleman is is he's getting paid quite a bit of money this season. Um, And I, you know, I'd have to go look at the contract real quick. Real quick, I think it's around four or five million, which is a decent. It's a decent amount of money for a running back and and we'll see where he evolves the biggest x factor that we haven't even talked about is of course i mean well crocker talked about him uh tevin coleman or not tevin coleman we just talked about him jarek mckinnon jarek mckinnon if, if you're unaware was was like kyle shanahan's darling two years ago like they paid a lot of money for this guy to, to get on this team and kyle shanahan's playbook you know he admittedly said and you know how kyle shanahan is he's just a brutally honest guy when when Jarek McKinnon got hurt um, before the season in 2018, uh, Kyle Shanahan basically scrapped like like a third of his playbook. Like He has a very high opinion of what Jarek McKinnon does, how he plays. He's basically a receiver out of the backfield that is also a decent running back between the tackles. He's a very stocky, powerful dude. Um, but when you watch him run routes and catch the ball, he does it all like a receiver. Hands out, away from his body. Confidence in his hands. Plucks the ball out of the air. Runs good routes. Is fast. You know, and and he is basically one more receiver on the field that the defense has to account for. And he's a guy that would eat linebackers alive. So, you know, he's not quite like the Christian McCaffrey type. But think about the way he's used. Like that's how what Kyle Shanahan kind of felt like he was getting in jarek mckinnon so he can have a huge role in this offense along with raheem Mostert. it's just a matter of it working out we'll see how he's recovered from that torn acl that event you know that required more surgeries took him a long time to get over it he made like a brief return during training camp and then just went right back uh into the training room and, and had to keep working on it and ended up having another surgery so He's got some recovery to do, but like Crocker said, he's been working out with the Footwork King. A ton of tons of videos of his workouts. He looks good. He looks spry. He looks quick. He looks healthy. You know, he's had two years of no football to kind of re- recover from this injury. And, and he is the 49ers running backs like X factor. Like, like, I feel like the 49ers running backs room would be okay without Jarek McKinnon. Like, they can still have a lot of success. Raheem Mostert, Tevin Coleman, Jeff Wilson, maybe one of the undrafted guys. But if Jarek McKinnon works out and he is healthy and he steps in, then to me it's a huge boost to what that group can do. You know, it's it's just a huge bonus that could take push that group over the edge into just a ridiculous play, you know, a group of ridiculous playmakers that will influence every drive. So, Jarek McKinnon to me is by far that group's most in excuse me, interesting player and in pro, you know, the like I said, the X Factor. If he works out and he returns to form and Kyle Shanahan gets to gets to take advantage of everything he had playing for that guy, then I mean, watch out, man. Because Raheem Mostert's playing great ball. Jarek McKinnon would be step in, and Tevin Coleman's just a piece that can rotate in there and help out. You know, Jeff Wilson was fun to watch too. It's just a, like you said, man, it's like this might be the one group that's like, man, we're good. Unless somebody comes along with a baseball bat, you like, you know, these guys are just locked like you can count on plays being made from this group. You know, I don't What do you think, man? Is I mean, have we covered it? Is that? I think we I think we covered it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like is there I feel like we've hit all the points with this group, man, and it's it's going to be fun to watch. That's for sure. I'm I'm rooting for for Jarrett McKinnon and and you know may, him making his comeback. He finally had his opportunity because he was in Minnesota, kind of sharing time with Latavius Murray, and he finally had his moment to come to the 49ers and be like a really prolific aspect of that offense. And he was still a big big part of Minnesota's, but and he never got the opportunity because he got hurt right before the season started, and so that was a huge huge thing. And now. We'll see, he's healthy. The 49ers restructured his contract and he's basically making the league minimum, so he's in no way a lock to rank the roster, but if he shows that he can still do what Kyle Shanahan valued from him in the first place, then I feel like boom, you're rolling. You know yeah. what I mean? You have you have options. And one of the the questions I asked Kyle Shanahan before the 2019 season, I said, "How does it feel to have four starting caliber running backs in Raheem Mostert Matt Breida, Jarek McKinnon, and Tevin Coleman, and Kyle Shanahan was just glowing. Like John Lynch smiled a little bit. Kyle Shanahan was like, "Man, it feels great." Like if you just you, I found out last season what it was like to you know to lose your guys at running back and have to search for options to bring in. You know, it's good to know I've got four guys that I feel like I can start. You know, and and that's kind of where they've gotten back to. You know, if Jarek McKinnon's healthy, you've got Raheem Mostert, Tevin Coleman, and. Jarek McKinnon that can all kind of trot out there for the first snaps if you want them to. So it just right. depends on how it's going to evolve. It's all yeah. Kyle Shanahan's crazy. Like I said, one
4: of the most, I'm probably the most confident in that, in that group. Um, really just, I mean, with Mostert and Coleman, and if you whatever you get from the other guys, I think they'll they'll be solid. I think they'll be solid. Linebackers too, I forgot about the LBs. LBs are nice. But yeah, I really like the running
3: <laughs> Yeah, me too. But that's it. That's it for today. O-line running back out of the way. Uh next podcast we'll probably hit I don't know, tight ends and receivers or just tight ends or just receivers. I don't know. Maybe yeah, probably both. I don't know. But we'll keep breaking Just Justice down the for roster. Kendrick Bourne. I know. Yeah. We'll hey we're gonna we've we've talked about Kendrick Bourne. We'll talk about him some more. Because uh, I think right we're tired of hearing
4: about him now. So I don't know. I'll well, touch on y'all it. Y'all are
3: gonna hear about him a little bit more.
4: <laughs>
3: yeah. So we'll see. We'll see. But, yeah, we'll see. As, you know, as the 49ers, if they don't give us anything else to talk about, then we'll keep breaking down the roster and what we see and what we're looking forward to. And, and that'll just keep being our, our thing for a while because we're, you know, we're we're about to cross in July and that's training camp month. Now we'll see what that looks like with, uh, you know, COVID-19, and the pandemic and stuff going on. Um, but we're right there. You know, the football season is inching closer. Nobody knows what it's going to be like. No one, you know. I don't know. It's going to be weird, but we're getting close. So, you know, things are starting to matter. So we'll keep breaking down this roster that way. We, you know, that should take us right up until training camp and then we'll see. Um, but that's it for us for another week. Quick hour. Hopefully you didn't mind our, our breakdowns, our, our film breakdowns there in the beginning. Um, I mean, that's how we do it here at striking gold. You never know what you're going to get. force Gump quote. Yeah. Boom. um, so that's it. I appreciate you guys as always. I have to say it. I appreciate you guys who are here right now, listening, who have been tuning into the podcast, who have been, you know, keeping the, uh, the views up and, and I appreciate your guys' support. It's a fun thing to do. I enjoy it. Croc enjoys it. It's just like, you know, it's been a fun thing and I appreciate all your guys' support. Um, Find us on Twitter. Let us know what you thought of the, the episode You can find me at Rob underscore louder L O W D E R. And you can find at Eric, you can find Eric at Eric underscore Crocker. You know, like I said, just hit us up. Let it give us your thoughts. Let us know what you thought. Let you know, if you have something something different to say, then just hit us up. Tell us what you think. But again, appreciate you guys. Love you guys. Thanks for uh, for supporting the podcast. And for another week, this is striking gold. Signing out.
2: The headlines remind us daily the world is a dangerous place.